Hello, and welcome back to The Basement Tapes. Um, this is a podcast where we listen to my deceased granddad's mystery story tapes uh, in my basement that used to be his. Um, thank you for all your kind emails. Um, Munch is doing very well, thank you. Munch is the uh, stray cat that I've uh, low-key adopted. Um, they're currently upstairs. Uh, they've taken a real liking to my granddad's old armchair. Um, they must share a, a love for being close to the radiator and also for fine Italian leather. Um, a lot of weird stuff has been uh, happening uh, in and around the house lately. Um, just so, so, for example, um, I'll, I'll go out every morning to try and feed the, the koi carp in, in the pond. Um, really deep pond. I bought some seafood especially. Um, but every morning when I go out, there's uh, already fish flakes, you know, flakes of fish food, um, floating on the surface. So that's a bit weird. I don't know if maybe one of the neighbours was feeding them for Graham and is coming in through the side door. But I'd um, I'd like you to stop that, please, just because I don't really feel comfortable. I don't really know you yet, but I'm sure we'll meet each other um, in due time. Um, and there's lots of other little sort of strange noises and lights going on and off. I think the, the fuses are having a bit of trouble. Um, so if you do hear anything during the tape, um, please do email in and let us know. Um, but without further ado, while Munch is asleep um, and not making a lot of noise, we'll get on with um, this evening's tape. This is As the World Falls Down by David Bowie from the movie Labyrinth. Well, let's see how you deal with this little slice. That's a quote from the movie Labyrinth. Fire. Why always fire? Who was fire? Who was that? Vulcan? Was that him? Architect of Pompeii? The mortals always said we were lovers, but the god of forges and the goddess of love have very little to talk about. The boy's house was on fire. The walls. The floor. The olive wood beams. He holds an image of me in his arms, half wrestling, half cradling it through the crumbling doorway of what was his home. The closer he holds it to his chest, the closer the image becomes my likeness. The sweat from his brow runs into my terracotta curls and down my face. I think he hopes it will save the clay from cracking. Pretty boy sheathed in sweat and the shrine with a little dish at my feet full of water and where each morning he left a denarius and rarely ever wet his hand to take a coin back and even then only to pay the landlord and always so sorry when he did. Faithful little boy. I never cared. You didn't need gods to start a war and you don't need them to love. What was his name? I knew two such faithful little boys a lifetime back pretty little boys suckled by wolves. It was never going to end well, little men raised on savage milk, but I tried. I tried to see the beauty in the split bone and curls of blood when Romulus smacked Remus silly with that rock, just roughhousing, just play, just cubs, I told myself. 
tried to, to see the beauty in the grass and the flowers that rose from the blood and then the bricks and then Rome and then the Colosseum and where is it now? Like a dish of oil and water burning on the hill. The boy has made it out, out of the house, but my last shrine still stands inside. I don't blame him. Blood soaked and shiny, throat sore, shouting my name, shouting, sorry, Venus, sorry. He's running down his street, one sandal lost, and half his street is a blue mosaic, not for any reason, not for any festival that anyone can remember, just a picture of some waves that starts nearly where his door is, a sea view, a left, past the potters, past the man in the street with the knife in his back, not a war knife, kitchen knife, as though someone saw the flames and decided to do what they'd always wanted to do. He's found the Tiber, faithful little boy Maxentius, that's his name, that's it. And the river choked with rubble and the bits of where people used to live. A frigate borne downstream on hot winds, two of the three masts alight. So serene. And the little flaming people tumbling off the sides. Max is shouting something else. Shouting to the men on the boat, to the river, to the clay pits, to the fire. Someone else's name. Silvius? Sylvanus? It's hard to hear over the flames. An ember touches the boy's cloth shirt and he's alight and dives into the wet clay, rolling, hissing like a blacksmith quenching a sword. Children would come to the clay pits, where the water met the earth and made the stuff of bricks. Hurl sods of it at one another and sometimes leave a print of a finger in one of their projectiles. The masons would shape the bricks, and sometimes some freak lucky accident would make the print survive, and somebody's house would have a child's fingerprint in the walls. I used to wander the streets and look for them. I thought them lucky. Can I remember a single prayer of his? Latin such a tricky thing, imperfect instrument, all bits and pieces that sound alike like fish bones in the throat. I liked it much better when they would sing, or drink, or play the goatskin drums. No need then to hear the words, to know that I was sought. I liked it when they kissed. But on Velian Hill, Latin had its moment, burnt down and put back together by Maxentius, a little temple. Templum Venaris et Romae, Temple of Venus and Roma. And Roma backwards, amor, Rome and love, love and Rome. What's a Roman god without Rome? We're burning with the city, vacating the Pantheon for a Vatican. He's up, cut freshly on the forehead by some scrap of river flint buried in the clay. Wading in the shallows and the mud still screaming, Silvius, Silvius, far off. A gold statue of Janus pitches into the ornamental garden of the courthouse of Lustitia, crushing flowers hemmed in on all sides by flames. Plumes of dust join the black smoke. Somewhere else, water boils in the fountains and washing on lines, hisses still imprinted with the shapes of the rocks on the banks of the Tiber where women strike their shirts. Max's hit a bridge, 
stone but burning. The whole city has got so hot it's home to impossible flames that burn stone. There's a passage up it, little flagstone stairs, too young to be worn smooth by use and cracking in the heat. He takes them three at a time, choking on his city. At the top, a little gatehouse, and some kind guard fleeing his post has left the portcullis up, shacked in place. Max crosses beneath it and throws a coin in the dish by the guardhouse. Funny little thing, an everyday ritual, the paying of the toll. A shrine, all of its own, automatically done. A broad street, a market street, and at the very end a temple, my temple, with altar, to make the giving easier, so one could buy a loaf and break it, or if you were lavish, some ham on the walk to work, and lay it at that altar without a detour. I am a convenient god, if only they could see it. Max makes quick steps, because the stalls are all ablaze, and men and women of Rome dead, all about him dead, on the cobbles, the walls, the ramparts, dead in their houses, and their beds, and the flames, and in the arms of people they love. He's coughing blood on the steps, past the altar where someone has collapsed, and dragged the scarlet silk cloth down over them. I don't mind. He's seen something atop the temple, and inside he takes the stairs, and when they take him no further, the ladder lashed together with rope to the hatch, and beyond that the roof, the sky. Another believer sits atop the spire, swinging his legs. Together, we watch the world cook. Silvius, I've looked all over for you. We have to go. We have to go now. They are sealing the gates. Why did you not go? Did you wait for me too? They killed all the horses. Why did they kill all the horses? Silvius, the city is on fire. They just led them out. They surrounded the stables so none of them could escape, and they led them out one by one. They blindfolded them to keep them calm. They were so scared by the smoke. They were kicking and thrashing, but they calmed them. Can you imagine? Patted their flanks and fetlocks and calmed them, kissed the bridges of their wise faces, and then took their swords and slit their throats. And the smell of the blood panicked the other horses, and they thrashed in their stalls, and they took even longer to calm, but they were calmed and brought out and slit every one. Silvius. They slit their throats. They they weren't even given a chance to fight. Any one of those sweet creatures could have killed their murderers. And they were tricked. A loose brick comes tumbling to the ground behind them. Not even these little boys and their good hearts can keep my temple from collapsing. I tried to save the horses, Silvius. I tried. And you know what the worst thing is? Max shook his head. They killed them all. Not just the riding horses. Not just the stallions who could be used to escape. They killed them all. Even the foals. Even the old and the lame. Even the pregnant mare whose belly was so swollen it brushed the burning grass. The smoke has grown so thick, not even the temple is safe anymore. It chokes the hilltop until the sky blacks out, save for a single solitary star. These children have come to me for protection, 
and there's nothing I can do. I cannot even offer them the wine from my bowl for its turn to poison with ash. Such a senseless thing. I watched it from up here. Can you imagine why? I can't see the point of it. The great vaulted ceiling finally gives, and with it, the four towering columns begin to domino, eliciting no more than a look from Max. One boy sits by the other, and puts his head on the other's shoulder. The burning frigate has run aground. I'm not sure there was a point, Sylvia. I think it was made to be empty. They killed all the horses, Maxentius! And I can see the reason to burn a city, but not to kill its horses. Let me save these two. Just two boys, composed of eros and of dust. Flames lick their feet, and I give it one last try. One last push. Venus, the morning star, who led great Caesar's soul to heaven, can't put out a little fire. I pray to all my forces, Juno, Cupid, the Dryads, and all my enemies too, Mars, Minerva, Virtus. The fire ignores us all. Two children sit in Mars's playground, if only he'd lived to see it. One crying, the other comforting. In the wine-dark sky, a star winks out. Um, yeah, that was a a really sad one. I've I've done a little research, like I always do after these tapes. I sort of try and catch them out a bit, I think. And um, there really was a, a temple of Venus, and it really was rebuilt by a guy called um, Maxentius. So, you know, well done to whoever is making these tapes. They really. Uh, so, I've literally just heard a door open upstairs um i don't know if that picked up on the recording but i'm gonna go up there now i'm gonna, I'm gonna take the microphone with me and we're gonna see what that is um so i actually cannot um, believe what i'm seeing so that the the bat so the kitchen back door that i know that i latched is just swinging it's still swinging as though someone's like uh, literally just pushed it. Um, you can probably hear Munch sort of meowing at it. And on the hob, like the hob is on, there's just a pan of baked beans. Um, like just cooking. I don't, I don't really know what to make of that. I wonder if like one of the neighbours, maybe the same one who's feeding the the fish, um, sort of sometimes came in to make food for Graham. Um, I, I, they must know he's dead. I mean, it was a while ago, but I think. Whenever something like that happens, um, you know, the whole community starts to ask itself what it could have done. I mean, I know I do, but I just don't, uh, I don't really understand how they, like, the door has a latch on it. I don't, fucking, they made toast. They've put, there's, there's two slices of toast. They've just, they may have been some toast. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to swing around next door and ask if this was them. And if it wasn't then, I guess I'm, I'm probably going to have to go to the police. Um, I, don't, I don't really understand. I, I guess I'll just finish. Um, 
As always, this episode was directed by um, Gabby Corrymead and Joel Walsh. Um, you know, sleep well, and I hope that you have good dreams. Ho, ho, hello! Merry Christmas from your basement-dwelling elves! I am producer Joel. And I'm producer Gabby. Ho, ho, hello! Happy Christmas! Soon. Maybe. I mean, happy Christmas, happy Hanukkah, which has been... We qu- don't, we're not sure when this is going out. Happy Kwanzaa! Oh, happy everything. Happy uh, Solstice! Thank you. James didn't mention, because he's been a bit busy with house stuff, uh, but this is the last episode before Christmas. Uh, but no. we will be back we will be back we're coming back in January um, with a brand new story it'd be weird if we did one we'd already done um, but we've got really exciting news we the producers have been allowed to touch with our real human hands the tin of tapes rattle, rattle it near the mic we have a divine rattle. object we have the actual tin of tapes and we're going to do sort of like a, a bit of a, a like a tombola a lucky dip a crap short story tombola <laughs> to see what January's story will be okay producer Joel do you want to put your hand on the tapes going in what's it going to be 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 will it be a bottle of wine will it be the soap that you yourself put in there because you didn't want because it was from your grandma will it be a yo-yo it is whistle while you work the first Oscar award winning animated movie from the 1937 Disney film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's creepy how she does that. Anyway, uh, here's just 30, 40 seconds at the start of Whistle While You Work. You'll hear it in full in January, and we'll be back in January as well. Season's greetings, happy candle nights, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's, it's an audio format, Gabby, you have to say so. Oh, I mean. Bye! (laughs) Awful. Will you stop spinning? You're making me dizzy just looking at you. Terribly sorry. Just needed to get in. Spin class. One more round. Won't, Won't be long. You should try a more sedate lifestyle. Who are you again? I'm Bovril. Good grief, Bovril? Haven't heard from you in years. I couldn't see you under all that dust. He's got bobbins in him now. That's Mr. Bovril Bobbins. And when was the last time you were used, Mr. Bovril Bobbins. Christmas Day, 2003, she had a lad in her pantyhose. You don't darn pantyhose, you daft sod. She did. She definitely did. She darned her pantyhose with my body. Quite frankly, I don't understand why you're not in the kitchen with Penny and Tony. Penny and... Who's Tony? You know... Rigatoni and Penny. Oh, I don't like that lot. Coming over here, taking our oh, shelves. Do you reckon I've got time for one more spin? Is, is she back yet? She's not coming back. What? Not coming? Well, of course she's coming back. She has been gone an awful long time. But she time. always does Asda on Thursdays. She'll be back after that. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Grandfather Clock. How long has Doris been gone? 
brilliant. Glad you're the centerpiece of the bloody living room.